Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. Today we have Anna Skender on the show. And I'm just going to read your bio so I don't mess anything up. Anna spent her career in recruiting and admissions, including leading global recruitment for the Clinton Foundation. She is currently vice president of talent acquisition at a market-leading digital company and has continually helped grow the company 500% a year. She lives in Raleigh, North Carolina, with her two beautiful children, and she's currently bi-coastal as she spends one to two weeks a month in Orange County with her partner, who has also been on my show. He's a therapist, Mark Howerton. He's lovely. Yeah. And thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, Christine. This is so fun. I'm really glad to be here. Thank you. Well, basically, her intro, basically, we want everyone to know you're a high-performing boss woman, and we're here to talk about dating and relationships. Yes. And Mark has told me that he what he really loves about you is that you are a high-performing, successful woman yet you're very soft and feminine and receptive in your relationship. And I feel like a lot of women have a tough time with that when they are type A at work, shutting that off in their personal lives. I struggle with it as well. So I want to ask, how do you do that? Is that conscious? So <laughs> honestly, um, a lot to unpack in my, you know, couple last years that I've had where my marriage ended and then I've been, you know, two years separated and divorced and dating. And honestly, through that journey, I realized that um, the idea of feminine and masculine energy in relationships and work is hugely important for me. And I actually think dating the right person helps you switch and and being with the right person helps you switch out of exec mode, masculine energy, workday, managing the children, managing social life, managing this. And if you're with someone that helps shut it down in you because they have the alpha energy to counteract your masculine energy, I think that's what has helped me be soft and be and think like, oh, I don't always have to be so hard. I don't always have to be type A. I don't always have to be so hard charging. Because the, in the first uh, instance where I heard of this was listening to is a Goop podcast many years ago. And now she, this woman is on the, the new Netflix special. I think her name is Michaela Boehm. I don't know how you say her last name. It's like B-O-E-H-M. And I'll never forget listening to this podcast. This was probably five years ago now. And I, I remember exactly where I was walking on this main drag in Raleigh, North Carolina, where I, where I live. And she was talking. She was on stage. It was at a, you know, one of Goop conferences talking with Gwyneth Paltrow. And she said, it's so wonderful that we're in this day and age, which is what you focus on, like women, that we can we can embody this masculine energy. We can come and have careers and be super masculine in our day-to-day -day life and progress and sit at the board tables with everyone and anyone. And, and that's not something that's out of the realm of possibility for us. She said, however, like she was like, I don't know about you women talking to the crowd, when I'm in the bedroom or when I'm in my relationship, I want to lay it down. I want to be feminine. I don't want to have to be hard charging. I don't want to have to be in charge, call the shots, make the decisions, plan the move. And I just like burst into tears. Like I just had tears streaming down my face because for the first time that dynamic, I didn't have the words. I didn't have the language to understand that about myself in my marriage and in my work and in my relationship to realize, oh my gosh, like that is what I need. And that's what I want. I want to be someone who can, who can change into those energies, which 
by the way, are not related to gender, right? You know, and it's funny because Mark and I have talked about this a lot, even after he was on your podcast. And we even called out, I am masculine in my work. He's feminine in his work as a therapist because he's constantly like engaging one-on-one and like being empathetic and sympathetic and caring for people. And his schedule is more laissez-faire or like some days he'll have four sessions and other days he'll have eight or nine. It kind of, his schedule is much more fluid, right? So his work is feminine. Mine is not fluid. You know, like I, it took a lot to be here today. I had to like block my calendar. Meetings that I'm in are every day of, you know, certain set hours are very strategic, making calls, making decisions. I'm interviewing since I do talent acquisition. And so we're this really good combination where we both flip out of what our kind of professional energies call us into because in our relationship, he wants to be alpha and I want to be feminine. That was a really long answer. No, no, this is great. I really want to talk about this. Because from my experience, when I have dated um, guys that were alpha as well, like we like emotionally, it was really hard for me mm-hmm. because I I felt I felt it was really good in is very inspirational talking on business ideas. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's hot and sexy. Yeah. But emotionally, I always felt like they they weren't able to show up for me emotionally in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we fought, the the fights would be really bad. Yeah. So I, so I want to ask, being you know with the a man who is alpha and with the fights, like how how does that go? Yeah, <laughs> let's get into it. <laughs> um, so my ex husband Tim, who's absolutely wonderful, he is Type A driven, ambitious, um, very successful in his career, but he's a you know more beta personality, and I. I'm super alpha. And so one of the rubs from our marriage was it, was, it was too polarized. We were too far at the end of the spectrum of what our kind of innate natural um, state is. And so when you're younger, and I think I was even talking to some of my team members about coming on this podcast, because some of them have been in similar situations where high, you know, high performing type A alpha leaning women date beta men. At first, it's really lovely, right? Because like, you get to call the shots, like you get to say where you're going to lunch or what you're doing this weekend. And, you know, typically a, a beta person like generally doesn't care because they're that chill or that easygoing and or they like someone to call the shots and make the decisions. Right. So that that is nice. But and it leads to like a low conflict situation <laughs> typically. But then eventually there are breakdowns around that dynamic being too far at the end of the polls. It has been interesting for me coming out of my marriage to date. I've dated a couple people, like just a handful, honestly, in two years. And Mark being my current partner is alpha. I think that to speak to what I just was saying, it's awesome that he's not he's not type A. He's alpha, but he's not type A. So we're not constantly, you know, we don't have that same energy around business and work. However, <laughs> we are both very stubborn. And because I I am innately alpha, even though I want to transition to feminine in my relationship, um, our fights are are much more explosive and epic than when I was with some my ex husband who's beta. So that's challenging. However, I think that is it for me a good dynamic because I end up respecting him because he stands up to me. A recent example, um, this is not my proudest moment, but I'll go ahead and give it a story to illustrate this. I don't know, maybe a couple months ago, we were, it's just a Friday night. Maybe we went to dinner with friends and came back and we're having another drink or open another bottle of wine. 
We get into a big fight. It's Friday night. I'm livid. I I was already transitioned into like loungewear, right? I'm in a tank top. I'm in some beach pants. I'm barefoot. We get in a big fight, and I'm like, I'm like, whatever. I'm out of here. I walk out of his house, and I'm like, literally strolling his neighborhood streets of Orange County, barefoot in a tank top and beach pants. You know, at 11:30 at night, it's probably 58 degrees, so I'm freezing, right? I'm walking around like steaming. I'm so mad, and I mean, for the record, I do think it's good sometimes in conflict to have space. Yes. Maybe not in the bizarre way I chose to. <laughs> With a sweater. Right, right. A little <laughs> bit more thoughtfulness behind bringing the separation. And so I, you know, I probably do a couple loops and I'm circling and I'm so mad and I'm wondering, like, when is he going to come after me? When is he going to come get me? Like, this is, you know, bullshit. And so finally I come back to the house and I walk right in and I'm like, why didn't you come after me? And he's like, <laughs> you did that on, in your own stupidity. And I was like, oh you have to be kidding me. Like you should have come after me, you know, just like, and he was like, no, I'm sorry. And in that moment, I realized, you know, most other guys, including my ex-husband would have, that I've dated or been with would have come after me. And like the fact that he didn't come after me, it was, you know, flabbergasted. I was like, I can't believe this. But then I was like, oh, I respect that, I guess, because that was a little bit dramatic for me to do that. And then I checked it with some of my girlfriends back home. And I was like, can you believe you didn't come after me? And two of them were like, oh, my husband would have never come after me. And I was like, really? So I think that they're, it's interesting. It's it's definitely more challenging for me in conflict. But then there's this like light bulb that goes off. It's like, oh, but I, I like that I can't control you. Oh, absolutely. Like women... Like, we don't want a partner who to be, like, steamrolled. Like, that's right. not attractive. Right. It is It is not attractive, yes. right? And, yeah, it's it's a tricky balance sometimes, though. So with your ex-husband, was there a healthy level of respect, or did that change over time? Um. So, first of all, my ex-husband, Tim, is one of the best guys on the planet. He's amazing. I respect him as one of my very best friends. I respect him as the father of my children. I respect him as the awesome, awesome co-parent he is. Um, it was tough for the romantic element of our relationship. I think it was hard to maintain respect related to desire and okay. romance. Okay. Um, so I think that that was the breakdown is that I think that I respect him and I, I do respect him and we're very close and we text and talk all day um, to manage our two little cherubs. But in terms of romance and desire and that element of our relationship, I think respect eroded. Okay. And so did it changed over time. Like in the beginning, yeah. was it okay? I think so. I think I was too young and naive to think about... I think I was too young and naive to think about the importance of that. You know, I think I certainly had no idea. I mean, Tim and I started dating when I was 19 when we were sophomores in college studying abroad in London. And God, I was so young. We got married when I was 24. So at that point, I had no idea about these ideas of masculine and feminine energy and what does that mean and how does that feed into your relationship on so many levels. And I didn't think about alpha, beta, type A, type B. I just... I had no wherewithal. So I think I was just so young and I was in love, you know, and Tim is wonderful. And 
I didn't think, I don't think it was a conscious element that I considered of like, do I respect him? You know, it was more like, I love him. He's so cool. We're going to have this great life together. He's so kind and compassionate and so sweet to me. And we're going to have an awesome life, you know? In terms of desire, is it like, what is it, polarity? Is it like aggressiveness? Like, what, what was it? Tim and my polarity? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that, again, um, I want to, like, equally own, you know, the dissolution of our marriage and that just romantic part. Because to be clear, like, our relationship is very maintained in terms of partnership, friendship, deep affection for one of another. And we very much operate out of the, even though we're no longer a couple, like, we're still a family. Like, he is still my family. The children, he and I, were this four-person unit. But I do think it broke down romantically because we're too far on the spectrum. So I, I have a very strong feeling that Tim needs to be with someone that is not as alpha as I am, like somebody that's more middle okay, um, that won't kind of overtake or overpower and like allow him to have more space and room to like be who he needs to be and give him space to step more into it. I think that, okay. I mean, I think I, that makes I think sense. that I, you know, like snuffed out even an opportunity because I'm such a big personality and I'm such a I'm such a force that if no one pushes back, I'm like, I will take up all the space. When did you start getting into personal growth? Um, that's a great question. During your first marriage? Um, I would say well, I've always been into physical fitness, that's for sure. And then I was super Christian. Um, so I think for a long time, like any ideas like mental wellness or prayer meditation was related to that. My father's a minister. I think it's more been in like the last, I would say, three to five years that I've more pulled away from what I would call a kind of religious related wellness to more, you know, balancing my chakras, yoga, acupuncture, you know, thinking about different ideas that are not related to religion that have to do with figuring out who you are outside of the paradigms or the programming that you were raised in. So I'd say the last like three to five years, maybe. Do you, you and your ex-husband, did you ever go to therapy together? Oh, yeah. Okay. So, oh, I mean, yeah. that's, that's growth. That's personal growth. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm a big fan. I've always been a big fan of counseling and therapy. Um, and we did try, you know, it was challenging because Tim was very focused on work. And when we went initially, it, it did feel, I do feel badly. He's very stressed about work often. And when we were in sessions, it was hard because I felt like I was the only one present and the only one trying and trying to throw this Hail Mary and can we make this work and can we get this back? And um, he often seemed distracted. And so we, we tried. Okay. And then what was the healing process like for you? I mean, because it just seemed like it wasn't a sudden thing where like the rug was pulled. No. Like it was kind of you, you were both aware of something needs to change. Right, right. So did that make it a little easier, the healing process? Like, yes and no, Christine. I would say I've just gone, I'm like maybe a year on the other side of what prior was two to three years of wall-to-wall -wall pain. Okay. Um, it was a slow drip. It was a, you know, Tim and I were in this tough 
well, I felt tough situation, right? Because it wasn't toxic. It wasn't contentious. We don't hate each other. Right. It was simply through some of my personal growth and kind of shedding of layers and things that had been put on me as a woman, primarily girl raised in the South, Christian South, like things that I was told and programmed XYZ equals a good life. So I made sure to do those things. And then when I was 34, just really starting to feel like, is this who I am? Is this what I wanted? Is this all I am? Or who am I? And how do I fit in this? And do I even fit in this paradigm anymore? Does my marriage fit in this paradigm anymore? Is it okay to make a different decision at age 34 than I did at 19? And so for me, in terms of healing process, there was a lot of sadness of realization that I was no longer in love and that I loved him as a person, but honestly more like a brother than a lover. And it took me a couple years to get to the point of saying, it's okay if I make a different choice at 35 than I did at 19 or 34. And I'm going to be okay. It's going to be hard. It's going to be awful. And it was awful. I mean, we're college sweethearts. We have all the same friends. We live five places in 11 years after college. So we left a little bit of our hearts and built amazing friend groups in many cities across the U.S. And so, and Tim and I are this, you know, dynamic UNC Carolina couple that um, everyone is devastated. All of our friends across the country, our core friend group from college, our parents, our families, both of our parents have longstanding 40 plus year marriages. So it was, it was super painful for me to make the call that it, that it felt okay. And that I could have grace with myself to say, my life isn't going to be over if I end this marriage. Like it is okay to say that this marriage or love with Tim is not broken. It's not broken. It's not failed. It's just complete. Like we're mm. done. It's okay to have chapters in a really long life, which by the way, we're living forever because we are all now like connected to our wellness and health. And so I hope Tim and I both live another 60 years, right? Which is not unrealistic. And getting to a place where it was okay to say, this is, it's all right that this is this beautiful chapter in our twenties and thirties. And so it was a couple year process for me, Christine, of coming to peace to make the decision, to make the call. Many discussions with Tim, many discussions with a couple core best friends, my own therapist, listening to tons of podcasts, reading books. I started like almost obsessively talking to people who had divorce in their life at all because I don't actually have that many people with divorce in my life, which also felt really scary. So I would talk to like direct reports of mine that their parents were divorced. I mean, it's probably funny if you could go back and watch the the real tape, the game tape of it. I'm like, so how old were you? What was it like? How did you feel? Are you okay? Yeah. You know, and they're like, yeah, I'm okay. Like, I think it's, I'm good. Like my parents are good. I'm like, really, are you traumatized? You know, I just, I, I asked obsessively anyone who had been divorced, their parents were divorced, their uncle was divorced, anyone. And so I came to the decision and then made the call. So I feel like through... Through that journey, I, a lot of the sadness and healing was kind of happening as I was coming to the realization. Now, once we publicly separated and went public, it was awful. It was absolutely awful um, just because so many people were hurt and disappointed and upset. And it was just awful. 
telling people. I mean, I occasionally, like my next door neighbor, who's one of my best friends, Mary, I remember we went on a walk and I went to tell her. And I mean, just the look on her face, like it just sunk and she went like white and I, and they're some of our best friends. And I was like, you know what? You look, you look really upset. You know what? We're going to stay together. Like, this is a bad idea. Like, I'm just, I haven't thought about this for the last two years. I don't want you to be upset. And I, you know, honestly, after that, I email, I started emailing people. I wrote a long email about like what some of what I've just told you about the journey I was on. Yeah. And I just like shot it off to people because I just didn't have the emotional energy or time to call or FaceTime or connect with so many people in my life across the U.S. that I really love and that really love me and Tim. And so that was healing for me to like feel like I could say everything and say it in a way that I got out the points I wanted to around the thought process because I didn't want people to think that this was a snap decision or it was callous or that we were this like toxic, toxic, cantankerous couple because we're not. We weren't. We're not. Post that, I have my own therapist, um, Caroline, who's amazing, and then uh, for my healing. But then I have two girlfriends in Raleigh that we, I would highly recommend this. We get up early in the mornings and most mornings, I mean, it's sad now that I'm out here a lot, but, and, and we walk four or five miles at like 530 in the morning. When you have female friendships that you have that dedicated space, that sacred space every day before your day even starts, and when you spend that much time weekly together, I mean, I'm talking four or five weeks of three girls walking super fast, four or five miles through the heart of Raleigh, and we just gab about everything. There is so much space to share and go deep and heal and like let people see like the deepest parts of yourself that you're really afraid to let even a good friend that you see a lot. And so I would say between my counselor and then my two girlfriends, Ashley and Carla, who I walk with, they were my three kind of most, you know, healing guides through the time and could really, and just held a lot of space for me and, and made, and both all three created safe spaces for me to move through the pain and sadness and, and to, to move on. Did you do anything else? Because you said you mentioned like chakras and things like, did you spiritually do anything uh, for healing? I mean, I do have a woman in Raleigh who balances my chakras and does Reiki, which I love and I'm a big fan of. Um, I actually, one of my good friends from when Tim and I lived in San Francisco, um, she she's from Orange County as well. And she's in Buena Park and she does flower essences. Okay. Um, what, is, what is that exactly? So she works with flowers and um, they get crushed into like tinctures and she makes formulas based on properties of flowers and um, sends them to me in the mail and you take it like a dropper under your tongue. Okay, cool. No, I love it. Because when, when I was going through my healing journey, I was just open to trying I, I will try anything. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I had yeah. like a shaman. Well, she was like... She was clearly born in like L.A. and like changed her name to something else. Mm -hmm. And she was like spitting water on me and stuff. But I was just like open. I'm like, you know what? It might do something. It might not. But I I just think as long as you're trying and actively, I want to heal instead of I mean, some people, they don't even go there and they just start dating again. And it's you know, Mark and I talked about this right. on his episode. <laughs> well, a lot of men, I feel like I don't want to generalize, but they uh, they're less likely to dive inwards first before. Oh, a hundred percent. And women were a little bit more with it to be like, we're I feel hurt. I'm broken. And you know what? Like a dude is not going to fix this. Someone who will spit water on me and like chant <laughs> over me, that might fix me. I am here for it. I'm here for flower essences. I'm here for chakras, Reiki, 
what else have I done? Um, I mean, I met with a woman who's like clairvoyant. My good friend mm -hmm. Carla, I just mentioned, connected me to this woman who's like a real intuitive and like went deep into my birth chart. So I've gotten big into astrology. I mean, the, my birth chart, what she pulled, it was funny because when Mark and I started dating, I sent him the PDF of it. And he was like, oh, well, you knew this woman. And I was like, Mark, I had never met this woman in my life. And he couldn't believe how spot on her going into my birth chart and like, talking through pieces of that so i'm like super into astrology is he into astrology he is a little bit i mean he's very he loves talking about how he's a leo okay we're a challenging astrological match because i'm a taurus and he's a leo so okay that's tough okay and i'm leo ascending so i'm like a fiery taurus so it's um it's fun <laughs> what about psychics like is he because i feel like most men like at least my guy friends and my husband they're not really into no, psychic. we haven't talked about psychics, but he did a or session with Maria. I had Maria do his birth chart and oh, he okay. was really into that. That's um, cool. And so, yeah, when he came to Raleigh once, Maria did a session with us and going through his birth chart. And it, I mean, it's crazy how spot on and like there are certain things about, you know, your past and your future and current and things that you have to work through that it really is bizarre how much the astrological chart, your birth chart can predict, know, tell about someone. I love that. I love what you're sharing about your your marriage, your ex-husband, just because, I mean, there's, you know, you hear a lot of stories of like when the other person is just like a crap ass person or they're abusive yeah. and you leave and, you know, those marriages crumble. But I think sometimes it's harder when it's like they're a lovely person. Right. You have set up this lovely life. Nothing's yeah. technically like wrong or bad, but right. it's just you've grown. Yes. And, and that pain... Of, and that decision of leaving, I would think sometimes is harder. Yes. Than if, I mean, because it's a clear decision if someone's treating you like crap, like, yes. this is the right decision. I'm going to leave. But just like, oh, my gosh, you know, like, I think this chapter is closed. Right. No, you're dead on, Christine. It was agonizing I, I for a couple of reasons. One, I, of course, have this sense of there are so many women who would be perfectly happy in my marriage. Yeah. Why am I being such a brat? Why do I want more? Why do I feel like I need something different? Like, I'm so selfish. Like, what's wrong with me? I just need to be quiet and be okay with this. So that's one. Two, I worked very hard to create the life that I got. I mean, as a type A driven woman, I wanted, you know, we had moved to New York City when I was 16. I wanted to go to UNC Chapel Hill, which is more challenging to get into out of state, but I was hellbound that I was going to go to UNC. That's my where all my family went. I was going to go to UNC. I was going to find my husband there. I was going to be married by the time I was 24. I was going to have my first kid by the time I was 30. A boy, by the way, who looked exactly like my husband. All of that came to pass. I was going to have my second child within two years after having my um, first child. So I had my first kid at 29, my second kid at 31. And then we land in Raleigh and buy a house we hadn't bought yet because we were urban and bounced around. And it was, you know, I, it's sort of embarrassing. So a lot of my story is very cliche, but it's like we I I got through everything that I wanted. And then I was just sitting there and I was like, is this how it's supposed to feel? Like, is this it? Because I worked very hard to get all of those pieces and to get this picture perfect family. So it felt agonizing to think about all my hard work for the last decade, decade plus um, to get exactly what I wanted. And then being like, oh, Anna, it's okay if you want something different today than what you wanted when you were 18. It is okay to change. 
And then lastly, one of my favorite podcasts the last five to 10 years, maybe it was five years ago, um, it was actually a Goop Fellas podcast. Did you ever listen to any of those? No. So it was two men. It was Goops, but there was for men, men topics, male topics. And the two guys, I can't remember. I think it was Dr. Will Cole, and then I can't remember who was the other host when they were doing it, had on this New York City divorce attorney named James Sexton. Have you heard of him? That name sounds familiar. So he wrote a book called How to Stay in Love. Okay. And um, it's cool because he's a divorce attorney in New York <laughs> City and he's now written a book about how to stay in love because he deals with high power couples in New York City that are divorcing. He uh, himself, by the way, is divorced. He um, was married 10 years and has two boys. That podcast was, it came when I was in the process of making the call of whether or not to leave my marriage or to say, hey, it's okay for us to be co-parents and friends and we don't have to be lovers and married anymore. There are so many nuggets that I think about on a weekly basis from that podcast. One of the things he said was marriage is a very specific type of arrangement that you have to actively want to be in. And that just stuck with me and like rung true in my heart and my mind because I'm a very authentic person. I want to live out loud. I want to be honest. And I just knew I if I'm going to be in a marriage, that's a big deal. That's a very specific thing to be in. And I don't want to pretend that it's okay to be in a marriage, which I think is a wholly committed arrangement if I feel like the person I'm in this marriage with feels more like my brother than my lover. And I think it's sad. I think a lot of people don't hold the weight of marriage as this very specific arrangement that you have to actively want to be in. So many people, I think, put it on cruise control mm -hmm. and are like, cool, this is just what happens. Like you get married and like maybe love and romance waxes and wanes and maybe that's okay. Um, but it was agonizing to leave a happy peaceful situation with a very kind person you know including some of my friends I, I had some zingers come at me when you know some of my friends who are christian background and i let them into my thought process thinking that i might not be wanting to stay married to tim and one of them was like no one's ever gonna love you as much as tim oh this is one of my best friends and i just looked at her and i was like you're right like, you are probably right, but I've got to make this call with the, like, rolling the dice. And I'm going to roll the dice even knowing that, you know, I could very well find no one again who will love me as much as Tim does or did. Does. Um, you're right, but I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to roll that dice because I'd rather do that than stay in this marriage pretending that I'm wildly in love and happy and that this is exactly what i would want in a partnership i'm not going to pretend live your truth it's mm. it's i mean that sounds so cliche but it, i'm big on truth yes too. yeah it's just so uncomfortable to live a lie and long term it's painful yes i think it's so painful unless you're i mean you're a woman I, like you're passionate you want to go deep right you're right. just not like a cruise control person right right so i really commend you for doing that and i yeah. love talking to divorce people because <laughs> no honestly you guys give the best advice this yeah. is life experience there's mm -hmm. so much wisdom that comes with that and like bravery mm -hmm. and so i think i honestly think divorce people give some of the best 
advice, nice. which is just like also you seeking out like when you were, you know, contemplating, you know, right. seeking them out. Like, right. and so I want to ask, like, what what have you learned about yourself since then? I mean, because you've started you're dating someone right now and you yes. dated. So and that's yeah. I mean, you learn a lot about yourself. So what are some <laughs> what are like the top three things you've learned about yourself since the divorce? Well, I've learned that I'm stronger than I thought I was. And I don't know if this is necessarily about myself, but more of just like a universal truth that I feel like I've learned that you can create and curate the exact life that you want. And I'm not sure I thought that was possible when I, you know, towards the end of my marriage, because I, I had created what I thought I wanted. And then I felt trapped. And I remember being on the phone with one of my best girlfriends who lives in Nashville, Gabriella, and just, I was like, Gabs, I'm trapped. Like, I'm, I can't leave Tim. I'm not going to leave this. I'm not going to ruin my kids' lives. I'm not going to ruin our social life, our families, all these things. And she was like, you're not trapped. And I was like, yes, I am. So I think learning, I've learned that now that I'm on the other side of what I would call a couple of years of wall-to-wall pain, feeling so free and realizing that I can create and curate my life to be exactly what I want it to be right now at age 37 and then again at age 45 and then at 52 and 58 and whatever other age. Because another zinger that I got <laughs> dealt from one of my friends, which not wrong. Like I like that I have enough females in my life that challenged me and like we're like, are you sure? Like, are you sure you're not going to be less happy if you leave him, right? And one of them said, you know, because at this point, Tim and I had been together 16 years, maybe married 12 or something. And she was like, how do you know that you're not going to get to this exact same place in 16 years with someone else? I said, you're right. I don't. I don't know that. But again, like I'm willing to roll the dice. And I also know now I've learned that at any point in my life, I can create and curate the exact life I want. And I don't have to feel trapped and I don't have to feel stuck, you know? So um, I feel like that's like the core thing I've learned. And then just, you know, very cliche, but I, you know, I feel like I'm fireproof and I've been through a lot and I'm stronger than I thought I was. I think I really feared being able to financially provide for myself. I think that was a big motivator to stay for a while. I think that's a big motivator for a lot of women for fear that like my life would have to change in terms of lifestyle. And I feel very grateful that that isn't the case, but I mean, I've worked very hard to make that not the case. It just not like magic. Um, it comes from hard work and inspired action and intention. But, um, I think, I think for a long time, I didn't believe that I could financially be on my own and be happy and I can, and I am. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay, can we talk about dating post-divorce now? Sure. <laughs> what was that like? Like how did you start dating right away or were you in introspection mode for a while? What were the first few dates like? Do you have any good date stories? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I uh I took a little bit of time off like and was still for a bit and then I dated a friend of a friend that introduced. So I'm anti-dating apps. Okay. Uh, I, you know, I listened to Kelsey Chittick on your podcast because <laughs> she and I have a mutual friend. So she was in Raleigh this fall and I, you know, I was laughing hearing her talk about her kind of disdain and dislike for them. I know they are awesome and people love them. My current partner loved them. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I just can't. Um, I, I can't do dating apps. 
Um, I, I was on a couple for like a week or two at one point in the last two and a half, three years. And, um, set up two different dates and I ended up canceling them both. Cause I was like, this is too weird. Like, I don't know these people. Like I literally don't know them. Also, you know, as a, a talent exec, like I interview people for my job. So let me tell you what I don't have energy for at six o'clock or seven o'clock after a long day of work <laughs> is to go interview someone at a bar or at a restaurant. Literally. So I'm, you know, we're in, um, East Hollywood right now. Tonight, I have a senior candidate coming up from San Diego to meet me for dinner in Newport Beach. Like, I'm literally going to dinner tonight with a candidate. So I cannot meet a new person that I don't know for dinner as a romantic prospect. So I've been lucky in the last couple of years. I dated a friend of friend for a while. That was interesting. He was um, 37, had never been married, kind of classic Peter Pan, um, had never said I love you to anyone, had dated lots of women, had spent you know a decade in New York, but then was in North Carolina where I was, lived in a 4,000 square foot plus house by himself, drove a Porsche. I mean, just so many cliche things. So that was an interesting um, relationship that, you know, didn't really go anywhere because I think something's a bit wrong with someone if they've dated people and never said I love you to anyone and they're 37. Like, it's fine if you've never been married at 37. That's not a problem. But like, if you've never even said I love you to someone, like, that's a red flag. Yeah. Um, of course, I chose chose to ignore that for many months. Um, and then... <laughs> When he and I were ending and I was kind of bummed about it because I was pretty into him, I uh, I was feeling sad and it was like a dark morning in November. I was like making the kids lunches and I was kind of bummed about it because where I live, are, there are not many uh, divorced people. So in Raleigh, in our circle where we live, it's a very, you know, upper socioeconomic and it's, you know, got the Christian foundation. So they're just, there are not that many divorced people in Raleigh, like the hottest divorced dad in Raleigh is the guy I was married to. Okay. And so, um, so there's just not a lot of options and then I'm anti apps. And so this is very hilarious and random. Um, I was listening to a podcast, uh, a goop podcast where Gwyneth was interviewing Abby Wambach, who's Glennon Doyle's wife. And they were talking, she was talking about how awesome Craig is Glennon's ex-husband and how wonderfully they co-parent and you know i was kind of following them because i it was a great example and i want there to be more examples and that's why i want to have a public you know image and uh sharing around tim and i what we're doing because i don't want i was so afraid because i didn't have that many examples of what does good co-parenting look like what does good look like in terms of still being a family even if mom and dad are no longer a couple like is that possible so you know the quote um you can't be what you can't see right my marion wright edelman i think um like i needed examples to see that tim and i could do this that would help me be brave to say okay it's not the end of the world like you can still do christmas and thanksgiving and children's birthdays and all the things together it doesn't have to be this horrible thing and so obviously Glennon and Abby and Craig have been a really good example for that publicly. And so I had listened to tons of tons of their podcasts and, you know, track their story and her book and everything. And I was just sitting there. I was feeling sad about that other relationship ending because I was, you know, not I couldn't see the forest for the trees. I wasn't acknowledging the red flags. 
And uh, I was just feeling sad making the kids lunches. And Abby was talking about how awesome Craig is. And I'd heard Glennon talk about how awesome Craig is. And I was like, okay, like this guy's so awesome. You know what? Like, I'm going to look him up on Instagram. I kind of remember it. He was hot. <laughs> and, uh, and so then I looked him up on Instagram. This is like November of last year, not this past November, year before. And uh, I direct message him. I was like, you know what? screw it like i'm gonna direct message him and just be like i think it's really cool that you allowed glennon to share your story so vulnerably so openly so honestly thank you for doing that like i've been separated from my husband for about a year we're trying to do what you guys do i was like whatever like i just i was in manic like get ready for school get ready for work making lunches like da da da. like shoot that direct message off to this guy in naples florida and i'm like whatever blah blah blah. i'm like going through my work day and then i we were having like a strategic offsite actually and so i was in meetings and then i you know go to my instagram at some point in the afternoon we had a break and i was like huh he wrote me back i was like that's so nice and uh then we started messaging and um we just kept messaging like a little bit every day and uh we really enjoyed each other's company messaging back and forth and 10 days later he flew to raleigh and we hung out all weekend and then we hung out for three months by flying back and forth between raleigh and naples i love that that's super romantic and i like that you just yeah it, it's bold but just like yeah just message people did, did, <laughs> but did anything come up with because i feel like once if you've been married a while and then you're single again in your late 30s or 40s, it's kind of like landing on a new planet. Like, who am I now that I'm dating, right? Yeah. So did you notice anything come up for you, like attachment styles or, you know, anxiousness or sensitivities around rejection? Was anything new for you? You know, what was new was getting to date again and have the awesome freedom of getting to experience people and experience traits of men that I did not have in my marriage and to be like, oh my gosh, this is so nice. Mm. This is amazing, you know? Um, like, you mean you're taking care of me? Like you did something for me? Like that's never happened. So I don't know if I've explored or like I found something new about myself. It was more, it felt fun to feel like I was back in the game and getting to make calls around like, oh, this is a non-negotiable now. Like, I need this. I need this. I need this. I need this. And it was, I mean, you know, I mean, there's nothing more fun than like the first kiss with someone or the beginning stages of dating. I mean, like how fun to be like back in that. I mean, if anything, I've had a great time. Um, so... Yeah, it's been more, I would say, enjoyable to experience new dating situations or partners or people and be excited about getting to make a different choice for second half of life. And with your current partner, how did you guys meet? Mark and Craig are friends. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so it's really funny. Um Craig, I guess, told me uh, at some point, you know, he and Glennon used to live in Naples, Florida, and then now they live out here. And um, but I guess at some point, because um, Mark's ex-wife is a kind of ex-Christian mommy blogger uh, like Glennon. And so I guess Glennon and Craig, this is a decade ago because they were all still married, all these couples. They all came to Florida to like hang out. And like they were all these like kind of up and coming mommy bloggers and they were all Christian, like Jen Hatmaker and her husband and 
the Howertons, Mark and his ex-wife, and then Glenn and Craig, and then another couple. I don't know. So Craig was just rattling this off to me, and I was like, oh, interesting. And I knew about Jen Hatmaker. I already followed her, and then I didn't know the other couple, and I'd never heard of the Howertons, and he was like – yeah, I love Mark Howerton. He's so awesome. He's my boy. Like, he lives in Costa Mesa, California. And I, I love that guy. He's so fun. And, you know, they, they see each other, like, a couple times a year and, like, text every once in a while, whatever. And I was like, huh. I'd never heard of them. So I looked them up on Instagram, naturally. And, um, and I saw, like, cool. They had pictures together at Thanksgiving, at Christmas, at this, at that, you know, all these kind of things. And so I was like, oh, cool. Like, I'm going to follow them and have another example because at that point I didn't have many examples outside of Glennon and Craig um, of couples that were doing family even if mom and dad were no longer a couple. So I started following him and then Craig and I fizzled out because just logistically it got too much. I mean, we it was two flights. It wasn't a direct flight Raleigh mm-hmm. to Naples. We had hung out for three months, had a lot of fun. Um, he was changing jobs, preparing to move out here. Like his girls' soccer tournaments were happening every weekend. So we ended on really good terms. He's an awesome guy. And then maybe like a, a month or two later, I was coming out here to Palm Springs for my birthday. Oh, so Mark followed me back, which I was a little bit confused by. I was like, I'm like this divorced mom in Raleigh with a private account at the time. I'm like, why did he follow me back? I was like, whatever, fine. He saw the little, the picture, like, she looks cute. Yeah. (laughs) So I was like, okay, whatever. Like, this guy can follow me. That's fine. Um, And so then my aunt and uncle used to live out here. They were in Hollywood Hills for a decade. And they have a vacation home in Palm Springs, which I had actually never been to. And so... I was in another period of just taking time off, like Feb, March of last year, Feb, March, and then into April. My my birthday's in April. And... um. And I was just really going inward. I was like work. I was doing like manifestation journaling, trying to call in what I want and like really going inward and doing a lot of journaling and just alone time being still. And I just had this bug, even, you know, it was COVID and like everybody, we were just getting vaccinated around that time last year, everybody. And, um, or if you were like eager beaver, like I was and, you know, figuring out how to get vaccinated, even if you weren't an essential worker. Um, and so you could travel. And I was just like, I've got to get out of Raleigh for my birthday. I've got to go somewhere. So I emailed my aunt Philippa. They live in DC now. And I was like, Philly, is there any chance your Palm Springs house is open? I would love to just get out of Raleigh. I need to go somewhere different, like really different where like the geography is different and the climate and I just need to get out of here. I need to like, ugh, like shake off. I mean, you know, you love to travel. Like it's just, you shake the dust off your soul and like get into different headspace. And, um, it's funny. So my birthday's 420 and it normally falls between the two Coachella weekends. And so when we lived in San Francisco at some point years ago, I'd asked my aunt Philippa, I said, Hey, it's my birthday. Can I come Palm Springs 420? She was like, Anna, that's Coachella. Like you will never be able to use our house during Coachella. Like, cause obviously you can jack the, the houses yeah. up so much during that music festival. So I like quickly checked and I'm like, is Coachella happening? Probably not because of COVID. Right. And, um, and so then I emailed her and she was like, yeah, no Coachella. You could have like, it's booked the weekends, but if you want to go Sunday to Friday, like knock yourself out. I was like, I'm going, I like booked, I was like five 30 Sunday morning. I'd emailed her. I booked my flights. I was like, I'm going. And then I just blasted all my girlfriends across the country. And I was like, yo, I have a Palms rings house from Sunday to Friday, you know, April 18th to April 23rd or whatever the dates were over my birthday and anyone is welcome. Okay. So a couple of girlfriends of mine came, which was so fun. 
And then I put in my stories on Instagram like a couple weeks ahead, like, hey, I've, I've actually never been to Palm Springs um, at what I need recommendations. And having lived in San Francisco, of course, I had tons of friends out in California that would have racks, et cetera. And Mark really loves Palm Springs. He like loves the desert. It's his favorite place to go. And so he responded to my stories and like gave some recommendations. And I was like, oh, OK, it's like random Craig's friend is a random guy, you know fine. That's very nice of you. I'm so excited. Like I I'm excited. I've never been. He's like, Oh, you're going to love it. And we start messaging and then we're having kind of fun messaging. And then it essentially got to the point where he was like, Hey, like, I'd love to come buy you a birthday drink. And I was like, okay. Um, and so he came. That's and, a, a couple hour drive for him right. to buy you a drink. Yeah. So I was like, this is interesting. Like you live in Costa Mesa and Palm Springs is like an hour and a half, hour, 45 minutes. And he was like, yeah, I'd love to come buy you a drink. And you know, what's really funny about the story is later he would tell me that like if I had said I'm coming to LA for a girls weekend, he would have been like, I'm not like he loves the desert. He loves Palm Springs and he doesn't love LA, which he and I very much differ on that. I love LA. And he was like, yeah, literally, if your story had been, I'm going to LA for like a, my birthday week and anyone's welcome to come hang out or I need recommendations. He was like, I wouldn't have even like responded. But he was like, because you're going to Palm Springs. I was like, yeah, I'll go to the desert and like take a cute girl out for a drink, whatever. And so we hung out and we hung out for two days and he was there. Like one of my girlfriends was still there and she left and then it was just the two of us. And so we were at dinner the last night before I was going to fly out the next day. And then he would come back here and we were sitting at dinner at a bar top at a, a restaurant in Palm Springs. And he was like, where do you live again? Charlotte? And I was like, <laughs> no, Raleigh, North Carolina. And he was like, Raleigh. Okay. I'm going to come see you. And I was like, really? Are you sure? And he was like, yeah. And so we kind of messaged and then we talked about him coming out and then he got cold feet and like pulled the plug and was like, I'm sorry, I can't do this. And I was like, cool, that's great. Like we had some fun times in Palm Springs and like, God bless, like have a good life. And, you know, he pulled the plug on coming and he was like, I'll take your lead on if that means we should no longer talk. And I'm like, yeah, bro, I don't want to talk. I'm not texting with someone across the country if like you're not going to come hang out or I'm not going to come hang out. Like I don't need a text buddy, FYI. Like I've got enough going on in my life. And so I was like, cool, like have a happy life, you know? And then like a day or two later and I delete deleted the text message. I deleted our Instagram chain. I deleted our text chain. I mean, he's lucky I didn't like straight up like wipe him from my phone, block him because I just, I was very much in a place too of being you know, releasing attachment to outcome, right? And so being open to having encounters or experiences with people and then just being like, cool, that was like a fun 48 hours and like on to the next one or whatever. So I had wiped. And so it was so funny because, um, you know, when if you delete someone's text and then they reply to something, it shows as like the open bubble, right? And like <laughs> there's nothing there. And so like, I remember I had just finished uh, my son's like eight-year-old wellness check at his pediatrician. So I dropped him back off the nanny. I'm walking back into work and I get this text and it's like, does this mean we're not going to talk anymore? And I write back and I'm like, yeah, it means we're not going to talk anymore. <laughs> like, I don't need to be text friends. And he's like, it, he, I said, why would you want to text someone you didn't want to see? He was like, I didn't say I didn't want to see you, but... I don't know. It's like cross country. And but I want to talk to you and I I do want to see you and I have all these things I want to talk to you about. I made a list. So then he like rattles off like four <laughs> things he wants to talk to me about. And I'm like, 
what the hell? <laughs> and so um, then I'm like back at work and I'm doing stuff. And then it was kind of cute because he did the like little panic thing. And he's like, so no question mark, like, you know, like wanting me to respond. And I'm like, slow your roll, Howerton. Like, I'm going to a girl's wine night tonight. Like, can we talk after that? And he's like, no, I have my own personal therapy. And I was like, okay, fine. Like, I'll call you after. And so then we had like a long talk and he was basically just kind of like, I don't know. I got cold feet. It's obviously crazy to think about dating across country, but I am really into you. There's something about you that really draws me to you. That's super intriguing. And for the last eight or nine months, we've been together every other weekend. I love it. And at what point did it turn serious? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, he told me he loved me after six weeks of dating. Okay. So I don't know. You're the relationship expert. Is that aggressive or not? I don't know. It felt nice. Like there's part of me that's like, no, at some point, like when you're older and like you have dated and Mark has dated a lot in the last five years, it is kind of nice to feel like you can be like, no, if I love this person, I'm just going to say it. And yeah. so we started saying that like six weeks. I said it back. I, I felt the same. If and it's then, healthy and authentic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know what? I don't know if there was a point when it turned serious. It just like we just kept booking the next flight and the next flight and the next flight. And I mean, as you can imagine, sometimes when we get in fights and conflicts, yeah. the stakes are high because we're this is this is we don't live down the street from each other. Like it's a big deal. We're 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 crossing a lot of things to make this happen. And, you know, it's interesting. One of the things that I learned from my marriage that I think is huge for sustaining long-term relationships is the very first time I heard Esther Perel was on a Goop podcast. And again, it was like one of these moments where I heard it and like tears just started streaming down my face when I was on this walk by myself listening to it because again, I didn't have, I didn't have a lot of the language or words around why I was so unhappy in my marriage or what had gone wrong to make me feel so unhappy. And, you know, one of the things she says often is, don't ever stop being curious about your partner. The minute you stop being curious, you're dead. Like it's over. Your partner, you don't own your partner. They're on, they're on loan with option to renew is one of my favorite things that she says. So Mark and I use that language all the time. And, you know, it is one of the benefits of both being divorced people is like, we both know that like it can go sideways fast and things can get hairy and go wrong and mess up and go in this direction like really fast. And if you're not intentional about moving to repair from an injury and moving to reconciliation in like a healthy amount of time, you're going to create, you know, breed resentment and all these things. And we just don't have time for that. And we've like lived enough that we know not to do that. But essentially after we have big conflicts, we kind of look at each other and we're like, all right, you want to renew? Like we use that language all the time. Like, and we say that to each other, like after we've had a big fight or a big conflict, and it's just one of these crazy things where we've just there hasn't been this moment where it like got serious. It's just we kept booking the next flight, the next flight. And then we every time we have conflict, which is, you know, not irregular. I mean, it's not it's not a, it's not an unhealthy amount, but it's not it's not not a part of our relationship, you know, that we at the end like look at each other and like, OK, we're going to re-up or we're going to renew. Like you want to keep going. And so far we both said, yeah, we want to keep going. And as you can imagine it. It's actually really lovely to be in the space of dating someone across the country because we get tons of side eyes, crazy looks, people being like, what? Like, what's going to happen? What's the end game? Who's going to move where? And to be in this space of being like, we don't know. 
And is it ever okay to be in a life situation where you don't know the answer? You don't know the next step. We don't know how it's going to work. I find that really lovely to just be like in life and in flow and just like, I don't know what's going to happen. Like it's, we're pretty serious about each other. Like it's, it's serious. Do we know how it's all going to play out? No. Is that okay? Yeah. And, and also, I mean, a little bit, um, (laughs) you know, you probably won't be surprised to hear this. Anytime I tell, especially a female, what our situation is that we're one week on one week off, people are like, that's amazing. Like, especially women are like, so like you're with them for like a week and then you're alone for a week. That sounds great. <laughs> like, that sounds actually ideal. And in some ways it kind of is. Um, it kind of is. Yeah, I totally get it. I, I, I feel very lucky that my husband and I were pretty equally independent. Mm. So we feel like we give each other enough space. Like, you do you and then we'll come yeah. together. And it's never personal too. Like, yeah. I, I'm very grateful that we have that ease that it it's um there's a natural rhythm to that yeah and my mother also has a setup where she sees her partners only on the weekends you know and it works out lovely for them right and i it's it's just so nice that there's these new ways of being in a relationship that it doesn't have to be like some people might think like oh there's something wrong because i don't want to spend time with him the other night with my husband i was just like it doesn't mean i didn't love him i just like i wanted alone time Mm -hmm. and that is okay yeah and yeah honestly being like a week to I it it yeah. does it sounds really appealing I can see yeah I mean because there's also like this idea of like fire needs air right like fire desire yeah. like stoking yes. desire it has yeah. to have air As- Esther says that it's like yeah you tend to if you want to reignite attraction or, or it, she asks like part people like when do you find your partner when you feel most drawn to your partner right is it normally when there's some space between yes, us yes exactly I, I love that. So what are your favorite things about Mark, your current partner? Oh, that's a good question. Um, okay, so I've said clearly, I like that he's alpha. That's really fun. Um, he has a high value for adventure, which I love, and high value for travel, which I do as well. He's very kind. One of the things that I love about him is that he will make calls for us, which again, and that kind of alpha or the masculine feminine dynamic I've loved. Um, because I think sometimes again with those, if you're too polar with your partner on beta alpha, I think Tim just always assumed that I always wanted to make the call that I always wanted to make the decision. And I don't, sometimes I want to lay it down and have someone else make the call. Someone else decide where we're going to dinner or what drink spot or what we're going to do this weekend. And um, you know, a funny example is I was here in October and um, Machine Gun Kelly was playing at the shrine <laughs> and um, it's a little off brand for me, but I love him, like love Machine Gun Kelly. He got engaged this week. To yes, Fox. I saw that. <laughs> so sadly, like it's not, you know, a possibility for me um, for a little bit at least. And so anyways, I was at, I was in the middle of my workday and I'm agonizing because the next morning I had a big meeting, like a two hour meeting with actually my brand new boss we had just hired in. And so I was like, I have to be on point at 630 in the morning tomorrow because I work East Coast hours when I'm out here. And I just was like, I don't want to go, but I love Machine Gun Kelly. And I was and going back and forth. And Mark was like, patient, patient, patient. And then finally at three o'clock, he was like, you know what, Anna? We live 45 minutes from the shrine. Like, we're going. I'm buying the tickets. We're going. I'm driving you up there. You can drink. I will drive. And like, we're doing it. And I was like, okay, we're doing it. Awesome. Like, so the fact that he will make calls and make decisions, um, I love that. It's so fun because I it's 
it's been a long time since I've had a partner who will do that with confidence. And um, he's very silly and he's very playful and he's very witty. And we just have a lot of fun together. That's great. Have you talked about the future a little bit of like what are the possibilities? Um, we have. We're basically going to be like the Jetsons and just live in the air. We're going to like create this like space pod, maybe somewhere over Texas. So we can just have each shorter flights and then our kids can all live in the air pod. Um, we talk about the future. We joke, we joke a lot about getting engaged or getting married. And I mean, he constantly like if I say anything about the future, he's like, oh, my God, is this another proposal? <laughs> No. First of all, you are going to propose to me. Let's be clear. Um, and no, I think, I don't know if we're being naive. We don't, I mean, I think we, every once in a while, we have a moment where we're like, yeah, eventually this is how it's got to be. Or or maybe eventually do we travel together? Like, do instead of flying to each other, like, do we live in Raleigh for a week and then we fly out here together and live here for a week and then we fly back there and live together for a week? I mean, we have the obvious dynamic. His he has four children. They're all older. Mine are younger. So we do talk about the future, but I think so. Okay, year mark is April, end of April. I think maybe we'll have more serious conversations about what logistics have to be. But it's very fun to live in la la land and pretend that we don't have to be serious about logistics right now. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I love that. I really, really love that. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your insight and your experience. I'm like vicariously like living through you with the, I do that with my single girlfriends who are, yes. who are dating. I'm just like, oh, what's a date like? It's, yeah. just, it's so fun. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. And it's funny you say that because in these last couple of years, my, you know, most of my friends are married in Raleigh. They're like texting me on the weekends, like the my non-regular walkers that I walk with during the week. They're like, can you walk? And like, sometimes we'll end a walk and they're like, this has been better than a podcast. Like I am living vicariously through you. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like, I feel like I'm like the, you know, court monkey for Raleigh of like all these married women are like, what was your weekend like? Yes. What did you do? <laughs> and like one time, one of my girlfriends, I, you know, gave her all the details of a weekend um, that I've had in the last couple of years. And she's like, oh my God, that's like from the movies. And I was yeah. like, I know, isn't it awesome? That is awesome. Um, it's just, it's fun. It is You're fun. having fun. And I feel like that's why we're here. Like whether you're married or whatever yes. you're doing, it's just like, why aren't we having fun? Exactly. Exactly. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a blast. And I really love your work. I, you know, first heard you on Mark Grove's podcast and immediately was like, this woman's awesome. And I started following you and then I've been following you. And so um, I feel so lucky to be here. Thank you. Well, thanks. And if anyone would like to send you a message, what's the best way for them to reach you? So I am on Instagram and I have, you know, a bit of a bizarre handle. So it's underscore Anna. A-N-N-A-E-L-I-Z underscore. So Anna Eliz is the handle. the words, the handle in between two underscores. Got it. I'll, I'll yeah. put it in the notes as Thanks. well. Awesome. Thank you, Anna. Awesome. Thanks, Christine. Thank you for listening, everyone. If you've enjoyed the show, please give it five stars and write a review. It helps my rankings and I really, really appreciate it. And if you're interested in my book to read or gift to a friend, it's called Show Up, Finding Love for Independent Women, and it's available on Amazon. Have a great day.